the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and the master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. I also practice the related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business financial aspects of everyday life, I've spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people of color and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat and helped create another one with my former military spouse, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families and our sometimes less than patriotic, capitalistic, capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And thank you, whoever it was that sent me a free uh, subscription to the Stars and Stripes in the Military Times. I hadn't looked at those uh, publications in a really long time, so thank you very much. And as I've shared with you before, because I have had the great fortune to both know and spend a lot of time and actually became really great friends with both my grandmothers, both of whom survived what I consider to be the four great economic challenges of the 20th century. That is to say, they lived through the Great Depression, the privations of World War II, and the ongoing, but it was much worse then, systematic racism, systemic racism, and misogyny that continues through into our society today. And as these women helped raise me and loved me and shared with me their great stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, 
it is out of my great love, respect, and admiration for these women who shared with me and urged me on that when the situation is right, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the targets of and unfortunately more and more the actual victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you could ever imagine that's running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to our money and more probably these days the lack thereof and our overall finances and what we need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate our families, our own, or our small businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in a non, this, a non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you are having a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets and or your debts. Now, I gotta say that it's obvious even to me that I'm a pretty smart cookie. And that's because I've always been very curious about just about everything and anything. And as such, my background as a researcher, which was the first job I had as a professional person, and always has and continues to compel me to read a lot of fact-based news and analysis each and every day. However, I must admit that sometimes my curiosity leads me down rabbit holes that I sometimes think are off the mark of my initial inquiry. But nonetheless, I usually find something meaningful and often very enlightening by the time I put the project aside and decide to sleep on it in order to give my mind the chance to weave together my thoughts with the discrete pieces of information I discovered or rediscovered and weave it into some kind of coherent pattern. Then usually out of the blue, I have an epiphany. That's when the center of the universe says to me, hey, you Here's the point of that lesson, and let's download or upload what it wanted me to realize from the get-go. But I was just too focused on my thesis to realize that the components, parts of the answer to my search was right in front of me all along. Well, I had an epiphany when I woke up this morning, and I finally realized that why I've been in a bit of a bad mood, to put it map. Uh, Miley, this whole damn month of May. In other words, my May 2022 has turned out to be my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad month. And why is that? Well, it's obvious. The Supreme Court leaked in the Dodd case, showing me that the powers that be in America see women as broodmares. More about that later. Also, the wholesale murder of the Blacks in Buffalo, uh, New York, by an advocate of something called red pilling and the great replacement theory that leads some to think that the killing of Blacks and other non-whites are sports. 
And the third thing, um, it has come to be that we all have witnessed that there is no early warning system to inform parents when the monopolies that our government has allowed to form and who produce 90% of the baby formula that our children need to survive, they don't have any kind of warning system when they're going to not be able to produce what's needed by our children. Also, we all know that COVID-19 is back in another iteration, as if it ever left, and has brought along a new friend, monkeypox, to keep it company. And for the last few days, we all have witnessed once again the tragedy of the mass murder of little children and their teachers in Texas with weapons of mass destruction that when used on helpless human beings so mutilate them that they would never be used on Bambi or Bambi's mom because the weapons would destroy the venison. Then we get to witness the arrogance and deflection of the elected officials of the state, exacerbated by the self-admitted incompetence of some of the police and an overall willingness of all our elected officials to focus on the fact that way too many arms, and I don't mean handguns, I mean arms that have nothing to do with the Second Amendment are in the hands of way too many pissed off and otherwise disaffected young men who have been taught that women and people of color are about to replace them and otherwise boss them around. And that's the reason for their unhappiness and limited potential. And as we kill off each other, the only people, in quotation marks, who are benefiting from our internal arms race here in America are the people of the Supreme Court of the United States elevated to the status of people in its 2010 decision, Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission, when it found that corporations, the corporations who we patronize and who then turn around and use the revenue to pay off the folks that are supposed to be representing us in our state capitals and back in Washington. All bad omens of the likely breakdown of our way of life and the likely replacement of that way of life with fascism if we don't do something about it. So when we come back, I'm going to tell you a bit of my story and connect it with my sense of foreboding concerning my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad month of May 2022. But first, we're going to take a short break and I'll see you on your side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on the connection between my sense of foreboding concerning my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad month of May 2022. Now, you should know that May is normally a month that has all been about celebrations for me. First off, it's the month of my mother's birthday. Happy birthday, Mumsy. Secondly and thirdly, it's the month that I got married. And it's also the month that I either found out that my divorce was about to be finalized or it actually became finalized. Anyway, 
I actually still celebrate both events because they changed my life for the better in each instance at the time they occurred. And because I've been going to school most of my life, May represents the month I received my various diplomas and degrees, including the one that I received that May Day 50 years ago in 1972, when the then 17-year-old version of Selwyn graduated from high school in a little town on the Mississippi Delta, Greenville, Mississippi. In fact, where I had relocated to from my then hometown of Fairbanks, Alaska, a little over two years earlier in May of 2017 to spend some time with and get to know my father, who by then had left the army and owned a small construction company with his brother. Also, I would have an opportunity to get to know and spend some time with his parents, all great people with whom I hadn't spent any substantial time with since my parents had divorced nine years earlier. A move that I will forever thank God for allowing me to do so and undertake because as a result of that move across the country and into a completely different culture, I will always know how truly fortunate I was as a young Black woman who had been able to get to know and spend time with a Black father who truly loved me as a parent and who would do and did do just about anything within his power to make me both happy and more importantly, self-reliant. Like the time after I had arrived in the summer of 1970 when my dad and his mom took me to visit and allow me to become reacquainted with our country cousins who lived and worked a farm that was about a hundred miles from Greenville. The farm had been on a plantation where my paternal grandmother's folks had been slaves and which her cousin Bill's line had been able to acquire from their former owners. Yes, I said the people who own them as chattel. Anyway, Cousin Bill and his wife and children and extended family showed me great hospitality, and I was happy to renew my friendship with Bill's, Cousin Bill's children, the boys, who I'd spent some time with when I was a little girl, eight or nine years earlier, because for some reason, I couldn't spend time with the girls because they weren't allowed to run free the way my mom and dad let me, and they were always interested in cooking and stuff, and I didn't want to be bothered with that. Anyway, during the fall of that year, um, that year that I uh, last spent with um, Bill, Cousin Bill and his family as a youngster, when the uh, homecoming had occurred that year and each and every year, Cousin Bill would share a portion of his crops with the rest of his kin, including my line of city folk, and also slaughter a hog or a cow and share it as well to his non with his non-farming uh, relatives so they would have meat to make it through the winter. Now, I must tell you that up until that particular visit, when the then five-year-old version of me uh, went, I had never really thought about how meat was produced, let alone the sight of slaughtering animals, as the then five-year-old version of me believed that pork and all other kinds of meat and poultry came from the post-commissary. 
And for those of you who have nothing, don't understand the military, that's the big grocery store that's on most military bases where my father was stationed, including Fort Bragg, where we lived at the time. The five-year-old version of me was having a great time marching around Cousin Bill's farm. Uh, it had all kinds of crop, including corn and something they told me was soybeans. And it also had this huge vegetable garden with all kinds of great vegetables that I thought that had ever been created. And it also had live animals. They had horses and cows and chicken and hogs and dogs of all shapes and sizes. So when it came time for Cousin Bill to share the bounty with our little tribe, his children wanted me to see how it was done. So they brought me over to the area where they were going to slaughter the hog. This hog was this huge, very unattractive animal. They led it to a pinned up area where I witnessed in my little mind it being brutally murdered. And as a result, I simply lost it. I started screaming and crying and could not be con consoled by anyone. As an aside, you must know that incident turned me off pork for about a year until my mother coaxed me into eating some smothered pork chops that smelled good and were even more delicious. And I have to be honest with you, I had some bacon the other day. Anyway, when I returned to Cousin Bill's farm as a 14-year-old young lady in 1970, I overheard the conversation between Cousin Bill and my dad with Bill asking my dad if I was truly that little big-eyed girl who had had the fit when he slaughtered the hog all those many years earlier. And if so, he wanted my dad to know that I had turned out well and was very pretty, and at least two of his sons were interested in me and wanted to know if my dad would agree to let one of them court me, and if so, and if he agreed and I agreed to marry one of them, Cousin Bill would put my dad on title to his farm. Just for some context, in case you don't remember and were not around, at the time, in the late 60s and the early 70s, the Vietnam War was a very hot war. And a couple of Cousin Bill's sons, my cousins, had been drafted and gone off to war. And he had more sons behind them, and they were likely going to each be drafted as they came of age. And although none of the boys thus up till then had been killed during the war, he was afraid that one of them eventually would succumb. And more importantly, two of them that had been drafted had the opportunity to see the world and decided they didn't want to be farmers. As such, Cousin Bill was afraid that he would be the last person in his line to work the farm. So in Cousin Bill's mind, at least, if one of his sons married me, that would kill a few birds in one stone. Firstly, married men were at the bottom of the queue for the draft, especially if they owned a working farm. And secondly, there weren't any marriageable girls in the vicinity. So Bill was afraid that if none of his sons could find a girl to marry, they wouldn't want to be on the farm and they would leave. And he thought it was real important that he leave his farm to his uh, progeny and that they continue to grow crops, including a new crop of farmers. So then I injected myself into the conversation saying, I didn't want to get married to any of these young men. I didn't know anything about them except that we were little boys when we used to play, they were little boys and we used to play hide and seek together and they were my cousins. And since I was a science geek, I knew that you could not marry your cousin because if you did, your children would be inbred and likely to have genetic defects. And at bottom, I thought the whole situation and the conversation was very icky. After my cousin Bill tried 
attempted to explain to me that we were actually distant cousins, many times removed, so there would likely be no real issue of birth defects. My dad very calmly, very quietly replied in his very distinct Southern drawl and said, and I quote, Selwyn is not a brood mare. She's not going to work herself to death on this or anybody else's farm. She's not going to have 10 kids in nine years and look like she's 65 when she's only 35. Selwyn is going to college and continue to be the free spirit that God made her. That's why I love my dad to this day. He always looked out for me. And from my perspective, it's one of the best things that ever happened in the month of May of any year. But you should know that what's interesting about Mississippi in 1970 was the fact that it was the first year the state had to fully integrate all its public schools, including the one that I went to that year and ultimately graduated from. But when I went there, I was a sophomore in Greenville High, the high school that had been there before reserved solely for the children, the white children of the community. That was because a year or so before my arrival, the state of Mississippi had finally exhausted all of its so-called states' rights appellate argument and was therefore forced to implement the famous 1954 Supreme Court decision, Brown versus the Board of Education ending the decades-old precedent, that is to say the 1896 precedent, Plessy versus Ferguson, the decision in which the Supreme Court had ruled that racial segregation laws did not violate the equal protection provision of the United States Constitution's 14th Amendment, so long as the facilities for each race were equal in quality, a doctrine that came to be known as separate but equal. The Plessy decision had legitimized the laws in many states, including Mississippi, that reestablished racial segregation and second-class citizens for Blacks that were thought to have been done away with with the three civil rights, uh, uh, Civil War amendments that dealt with civil rights, uh, the three Civil War amendments, the 13th Amendment that freed into slavery, the 14th Amendment that made black citizens of the United States and gave us all the due process and equal protection rights, and uh, the 15th Amendment that gave black men the right to vote. All of these amendments took place in the 1860s. Many of us believe that the Plessy decision laid the foundation for the end of Reconstruction the same way Shelby versus Holder, that decision overriding the constitutionality of the two substantive provisions of the Voting Rights Acts of 1965 ended some very important protections for those of us who care about our democracy. And we also see the similar situations being uh, manifolding every day as more states create barriers to the rights of people of color to vote and the end of the ability of women to control our bodies that we expect when the court overrules Wade uh, Roe versus Wade later on this summer. So 
What's the connection between my sense of foreboding concerning my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad month of May 2022? My graduation in May 1972 and the actual impending Supreme Court decisions, well, it reminds me of how I had to fight for my rights when I was just 17 because the powers that be thought they had the right to deny me the right to graduate from high school because I was a big mouth, independent young black woman who happened to be both pregnant and wanted to stay in school and keep my child. We'll continue our discussion next time, but in the meantime, and in as much as it appears that some of all of the variants of COVID-19 will be with us for the foreseeable future, I once again ask you to please get vaccinated and boosted. And even if you have all your shots, but especially if you don't, please take the necessary precautions to protect not only yourselves and your families, but all those you come in contact with, including me, by keeping your social distance, masking up, and washing your hands. Till next time, bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.